Welcome to the Rudo Love Podcast, a mini-series of anecdotes and interviews tailored for the inquisitive souls of today. For my second edition of Ooh Ooh Interview, where I ask juicy questions to people that move me, I've invited Michelle Casey, holistic sexuality and conscious love luminary, champion pole dancer, keynote speaker, interdisciplinary performing artist, writer, and facilitator to join me. Michelle's deepest passion in life is to transition people from a place of sexual shame, guilt, trauma, and smallness into cultivating a powerful and authentic relationship with their sexual selves. Michelle asserts that, and I quote, wherever we use sexuality as a place for our own healing and growth, we carry this freedom in our voice, this confidence in our boundaries, this safety in our bodies, centering pleasure as a lifestyle. It's a powerful way to find balance. Mm. Michelle's mission is to shine a light on our path of erotic rediscovery for us to feel love for our body and reverence for pleasure. Welcome, Michelle, <laughs> for my extra long, juicy introduction for you. Thank you, Rudo. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Pleasure is a perfect word. Um, we find ourselves recording live um, in person at the Peach Palace. So that's pretty special. I will tag everything in the show notes to explain what I mean by that for people who haven't actually been here. Um, but I couldn't think of a more perfect situation for my second ooh, ooh interview. <laughs> mm, it is like a banquet of textures and sensory magic. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> um, shall we get into it? I would love to. Okay, so you've mentioned that you coined the phrase luminary. What sort of images are conjured for you? And is there an origin story you can share about how you came up with this? Mm, yeah, so really a visual that came to mind in that moment is how I see my work, I see my conversations with people, I see my expressions of sexual liberation into the world through my artistry as something that shines a curious and compassionate light upon areas of social shadow or personal shadow of which sexuality has been one of those for such a long time, meaning it's been a place or a part of our humanity that's been judged, repressed, ignored, um, disconnected from. And so I really love that invitation of shining a light into these dark spaces, shining a light on the wounds, on the pleasure. Um, yeah, I think of that famous quote that Rumi has, the wound is where the light enters us. Yes. Leonard Cohen kind of plays with that too mm. in one of his songs. Yeah. It's escaping my memory right now, but that's so perfect. Mm. Yeah, so Luminary is really my romantic, artistic way of um, just trying my best to capture what it is that I most love to work alongside people on. God. Incredible. Um, I, I think that there's going to be a moment for me where I will listen to that again 
and just cry with how perfect a concept that is uh, the carrier that that is you to bring that message everything is so perfect and timely that you offer that now mm. like thank you so much for being present <laughs> mm. in this world right now thank you for that message oh, receiving that and thanking you for making waves with me mm. <laughs> mm. airwaves now yeah <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I have a few questions for you. Um, I've prepped. I've done my interviewing uh, homework, and I wanted to know, Michelle Casey, if money weren't a thing that got in the way, my question, what sex toy, in your opinion, is the thing I should buy? (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) That is such a difficult question to answer. So, should you Rudo buy? Oh, right. Or should anyone with Good a point. Good point. Yeah. Let's narrow this down a little. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yep. Yeah, I'm um, yes. So, if Rudo were thinking about buying her next sex toy, mm-hmm. what are some really good recommendations? Yeah, okay. So, I think of sex toys as tools, and there are so many tools that we can engage with to expand our pleasure and our sexual experience, right? And different tools are used by different people in different ways with different effects. And so, I feel like I have scanned the reviews of so many sex toy sites right and there's always yeah. so much conflict going on with um, people's different experiences and I really th- yeah like often there are ones that um you know kind of raise in popularity and people like this is the one obviously a lot of people really love the satisfier pro 2 magic wand hitachi brand um but i notice like i i'm really curious so i love to look in the comments section of um you know sex toy companies when they sell the individual products Uh, And just noticing some people will say this was the worst for me in this regard um, and other people like it's the best for me in this exact same regard. And I think that's why so many people get overwhelmed when they come to choosing a sex toy. Um, For me, like personally, the ones that I most recommend to my pussy having clients are, um, are ones. So... So often people will think of external vibrations as like the place to go. And that can be the most empowering, the most liberating, the most awesome sex toy ever. Um, Especially if you are new to discovering your orgasm for people that are yet to um, experience their first orgasm. A vibrator with strong vibrations can be like the best fucking thing ever. Um, But a lot of the time people with vulvas don't explore their like inner sanctums they've never really gotten to know their g-spot their cervix um all of the different sensations of pleasure that you can connect with there 
And so one of my favorite tools for people to do that are the toys that often seem the least sexy, which is a glass wand or a stainless steel wand or um, a non-porous crystal wand because they're so hard that it's easy to maneuver them and it's easy to um, control the amount of sensation that you experience there. So my personal favorite at the moment is the Enjoy um, pleasure wand the one I've forgotten the exact name of it but it's a curved g-spot one it has like one thick end is it metal or is it oh because the weight yes exactly it gives a really full sensation which isn't you know some people would hate that sensation for me that fullness that weight feels really like I don't know, earthy, and the sensations it offers my pussy is like, mm. <laughs> yes. Okay, yeah, sold. <laughs> I'm gonna go get one of those. I gave you a really long and complex answer. I honestly could have gone on for that one for at least another four hours. <laughs> well, here's here's like a a pivot of the same kind of lane. Um, on the other hand, on the other side of the coin, what toy or prop is definitely overrated for the simple act of having to hand out cash for it at all Mm, yeah so I would say here's what I would say to that answer is that I have a personal opinion that vibrators in general so I might use the satisfier pro for example are sold as something that will give you way more of an expansive experience than it possibly can So what I mean by that is I feel like there's kind of this idea out there that certain vibrators, certain tools are like the key to your sexual liberation, the key to your pleasure, the ultimate tool of female sexual empowerment or whatever it might be. And um, I've just, it's not been my experience that that has been the experience of the women that I work with. Yes, for some people, especially if they're pre-orgasmic, they're like, yes, man, like they just unlocked this part of me that I didn't have access to. Hang on a minute for just a second. Mm. Explain pre-orgasmic. Yes, great question. So pre being pre-orgasmic means that you are yet to have your first orgasm. And so different studies um, done over different periods of times with different groupings um, show that around 10 to 15 percent of folks with pussies are pre-orgasmic and I use the word pre-orgasmic really intentionally there because it is my belief and it's been my experience that uh, orgasm is available to all of us um, the exception may be is if you you know are aware physically that there is um something going on with your pussy like structurally perhaps that may be different uh, when we think of clitoral orgasms but also what we know of um, energetic orgasmic experiences is that uh, even the lips can be orgasmic even the breasts can be orgasmic and there's a lot of research that shows that orgasm is actually a brain function as well um, so yeah for those of you who might be listening that are feeling frustrated by those blocks to orgasm I just really want you to know you are orgasmic there is so much orgasmic radiance already within you the work is to just really compassionately understand where are your blocks
effects? What are the things that are protecting you most likely from having an experience that your brain, your nervous system has associated with something dangerous? And so often we can relate to ourselves as broken when we feel like we're not having a quote-unquote normal sexual experience, but actually the practice is to yeah find those shadowy corners find the wounds shine some light on there be really compassionate in the exploration and understand well is this a block to not being able to surrender am I afraid of letting go am I nervous about feeling too much pleasure in my body because that feels too arousing and I don't know how to regulate in that way Uh, is it that I don't know how to move the energy through my body and often you know it's important and well and what should I say here it's not important because not everyone can have access to this but it's really helpful to be able to work with a professional if that's something that you're experiencing and access is a thing and Mm -hmm. I want to thank you again for creating opportunities for people to access it where money is not um, something that you can um, maneuver as easily as you'd like to and Mm -hmm. getting you know getting people to work with you on a sliding scale is something that I've seen you do, especially for communities where you know that there's systematic issues mm. with accessing fair pay, for instance. Yeah, yeah, thank you for that. I think something that's so cool is like right now my business isn't huge, right? It's sustainable, it's been growing. Like I'm so lucky that my practice sells out so regularly. But at the same time, what's amazing is that even in the size of my work I've been able to give the number of scholarships that I have to BIPOC and trans folks um, either full ride scholarships or um, sliding scale scholarships as well and I just think that's so cool that so many of us can choose to make an impact in that way yeah because it shouldn't be about money Hence why I was asking about what sex toy to use. Um, I interrupted your answer completely. <laughs> <laughs> I sidelined your answer. What is the toy that should you should not have to buy because purely shelling out money for it is not necessary? You can go find that some other way. Mm, yeah, totally. Yeah, so I mean, if you want like a really cheap accessible wand that's kind of in line with what we were talking about earlier so a nice body safe one can easily be cleaned um it's like hard for those like early reclaiming your internal pleasure practices I am a huge fan of a glass wand they are like 30 to 60 New Zealand dollars and consistently I've had clients buy these feeling really unenthused because they don't have really any marketing hype Cosmo's not really talking about them and then to message me in our coaching spaces and be like the glass wand blew my mind (laughs) yes okay well you're really passionate about the written word. That's a fair thing to say about you, I would say. Totally. You've blogged. You've released quite a bit of content yourself. Um, and you're also in collaboration with writers in Aotearoa. Uh, most notably, um, in my mind, your podcast with um, Kate. Mm-hmm. And I'll 
<laughs> I'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> but tell me about a connection or a creative collaboration that I might not know about. Mm. Oh, the first one that comes to my mind isn't even about anything in the sex and relationships space, actually. So I don't know if we want to go there. A collaboration that you may not know about. Actually, I'll, I'll finish this line of um, thinking anyway, and we'll see where that leads us. So I'd say some of my most meaningful and formative collaborations um, were in the performing arts space. So for um, a good chunk of my early 20s, I was so lucky to work uh, alongside Chris Olwich, who is a now very famous international boylesque performer uh who now boylesque boylesque Hell yeah. yes he is absolutely phenomenal someone i deeply deeply love and admire um so chris was i believe rated for the last two years in the top 15 maybe even top 10 most influential burlesque performers in the world and is doing so well touring the European circuit, um, which fortunately has still got a lot more action than other performing arts spaces around the rest of the world. Hashtag pandemic. Um, But that was a really, really um, powerful time of collaboration with me being able to learn um, from him in productions that we did. So we did three shows here in Auckland and we also used to go and do shows down at um, Gay Ski Week in Queenstown. What? (laughs) Yeah, so the first show we did was called It Lux and it was all about um, religious ideas of sex and queerness uh, and it was the first time that I took my top off on stage, like in a public wow. space. Wow. Yeah. So I did this piece um, that was to, it was to like a monastery song. So it was monks um, like singing in this really deep, um, uh, spine tingling like way. Gregorian chanting? Yes. Oh, that's amazing. That is exactly the one. So I did a pole dance to that, um, and uh, and it was the whole. My whole piece was around um, me and this other character who was played by my castmate Astra, and we were deeply in love, um, lesbian lovers, forbidden lovers, and we get, like, so painfully ripped apart by our, like, religious families, and then I went and did this, like, really um, sad, emotive pole dance, just feeling really tortured um, and conflicted by the situation. And at the end, I like free myself by taking off my top. No pasties, just full, free the nipple. And I think I was 22 at the time. And so this was a really, really, um, really formative and powerful um, point in my life. Yeah. I really got, I really was there Mm. as you described that. Wow. That's amazing. Do you have pictures of that time? 
I do. So, because you're you're quite a good documenter as well. You have like a really incredible portfolio that spans your career. Yeah, I've been really fortunate that my close friends have been photographers um, since a really since right when I started performing. The camera loves you. (laughs) (laughs) That heals the young part of me that (laughs) deeply did not believe that. (laughs) Holy crap. So, yeah, I do have photos um, from that performance. But what you actually reminded me of is we had like theater reviewers come in and see the show. And and this has been consistent in my career. Theater reviewers hate me. (laughs) What? It's always, always what they write is something that I summarize as that was too much or too sexual. And often theater reviewers do they not know um, where they, they are. I know. <laughs> I'm very confused. By that. So why did you come here? <laughs> <laughs> Clutching their pearls. <laughs> yeah, I know. What the fuck. <laughs> I, I love it. You know, I don't actually think that ever has like got me um, reading those. But I just recall um, there was like a photo of me in one theater magazine. <laughs> From the piece with like some guy I don't even know who I can't even remember exactly what he said but basically um slut shaming me in very intellectual theater terms <laughs> wow I feel like there's a little bit of some old school paradigm but I feel like sometimes it's like if it ain't broke don't fix it like this concept of like if you are offending someone in the critic world mm. you're you're kind of doing the right thing like you're onto it a little bit yes i they seem agree very precious mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so like if you're unsettling them like you know sometimes the best stuff like the critics hate and the people are like this was for us yeah you know yes i feel you okay i totally feel you on that yeah, it was. I think it just motivated me more at the time and made me more deeply understand the need for the work that I do now. And I think it's so interesting doing what I do and having done it for so long, long before, um, like this next wave of the sex positivity movement has been becoming a little bit more mainstream is people simply do project you're on welcome. you. Yeah. All the little ones out there, you're welcome. <laughs> doing the work for you clearing the way yeah it's working isn't that the coolest thing ever i'm so lucky to be a part (laughs) of the wave with everyone around the world yes (laughs) yeah so where was i going with this (laughs) i got so just so into that little song that you sung for me Oh yes, as people people project on you is um, you know kind of related to what we were talking about around shining a light on these um, you know wounds is um, that is a difficult thing to do inside of yourself. Um, sexual mm. liberation can really challenge mm-hmm. our way of understanding the world, our way of understanding ourselves, and so. Um, that's been a consistent experience of mine as an artist, but also as a sexuality professional is that does challenge people and people will struggle to 
take that into consideration about what that means about themselves and their own relationship to their bodies, to sexual expression, to sexuality, um, because that's a lot to grapple with. And so instead it becomes weaponized against me. And it's not that I've ever, you know, been a victim to anything um, particularly difficult, but that's just something that's been interesting to navigate along my career. Yeah. Mm. This is amazing. So, um, given that I feel like there's a sort of liminal seasonal change happening, like I feel like there's a season change going on right now. Like we've got some kind of weather shift. I thought that this would be a really good question for us to ponder. And it's always really amazing when it's synchronous with um, my bestie Rose, queen of the Peach Palace, because she was talking about seasons just today. And I had written this question like two, three weeks ago. And it's like, my so yeah, I, I think that there's a seasonality or cyclic nature to creativity. Mm-hmm. Do you have a sense of when you need to shut off the tap for a while and rest? Or do you find that you need to be on most of the time um, you're around and how do you manage the demand around content creation especially mm. Mm, wow that's such powerful question and conversation I really resonate with that I totally feel that creativity is cyclical and I think that is why so many creatives working inside of capitalism experience so much creative burnout I've definitely felt myself inside of creative burnout. Um, And I am with time becoming more discerning as to when I'm creating from inspired action and when my creativity takes me into a flow state, which is Mm. the whole reason I want to be creative. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and... On the other side of the coin to that, I can feel when I'm creating from a place of should or from a expectation of consistency um, because I think there's so much out there that makes us feel like we have to be consistent in what we're creating and often off like financials depend upon it. So to answer the second part of your question, which I think was how do you work within the inconsistencies of that creative inspiration? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So for me, part of it is giving myself permission to take a step back even if things, for example the algorithm, my engagement on social media, my revenue dips for a while because that alignment feels so important um, as part of my relationship to myself, but also as a, like just how, like health and just like long-term sustainability. Um, but then also another big piece that I've been playing with a lot is letting go of this idea that everything that you put out into the world has to be for one-time use I think 
with the rise of social media we feel this pressure to constantly be creating something every single day like has to be brand new and you know there are eyes on it sometimes for seconds um less or you know hopefully longer than that and so I've really been trying on how it feels to recycle content to use a piece that I spent hours writing two three however many times knowing that each time fresh eyes will catch it um I don't know how I felt about that just yet, but that's the playground that I'm playing in at the moment. That feels very wise to me. If I were just to give you my reaction to that, mm. um, you know, my, <laughs> you didn't ask for my opinion on that, but I'm giving it to I'd you. I'd love it. Yeah. Feels, <laughs> um, so for me, that feels like a principle of nature, which is what we are discussing, right? Seasons. Mm. And this is what Rose was saying just today. You can trust in the seasons. If there's any other doubt, trust in that. <laughs> mm. um, and the idea that you are aligning to a different way to engage that takes into consideration energy and the recycling of it and the feeding something back into something else, which creates this like, yeah, I've got like this you know, um, kind of permaculture environment in my head. Like this metaphor feels very applicable to whatever you are doing in your life, dear listeners. Like whatever your career or output is, that feels like solid advice Mm -hmm. to not think of something as just a one-off. Yeah, I love... Throwaway culture, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I. it absolutely is throwaway culture. And I think that invitation to trust in the cycle, even if we feel like trust comes from being in summer all year round. I think we have that idea that that's when we can trust ourselves and that's success. But how actually that seasonal cycle, we can trust that that's going to happen. So if we're coming into autumn and we're feeling the slowdown we can trust that where we need to go is in winter and we can trust that after we really choose to honor winter that it'll be spring again soon and then it will be summer so I think that does involve a lot of self-trust right and a lot of letting go and um like creating new stories for yourself along the journey uh but yeah I I love that (laughs) <laughs> you said it <laughs> <laughs> inspired by Rose <laughs> yes it was very validating to have that discussion today because I it's on my mind mm-hmm. you know to, yeah. to connect creativity with something that you then are delivering to which has this whole storyline for me at least expectations mm-hmm. um, and you know value worth yes I I so feel you there if I I'm thinking personally how for pretty much my whole like 22 to 28 I was 
creating, 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 creating. I was creating new choreographies every single week for my pole dancing classes. I was performing so much. I was teaching workshops around the country and then I was writing heaps. I was shooting heaps. I was, you know, just exerting so much creative energy. And then I did actually get forced into winter because I was trying to sustain this artificial summer or the summer that wasn't truly honoring my seasonal nature. And when that happened, I experienced myself in a bit of an identity crisis. Like, Mm. who am I if I am not doing all of these things, but there's just no capacity or Mm. even a desire, like that old passion that I used to know as part of myself just wasn't there yeah oh wow Mm. and you got out of it I got out of it (laughs) yeah yes I found my way out (laughs) yeah and it is I would say I'm kind of in spring now I'm feeling you know the reawakening of that and often my sexual seasons and my creative seasons I'm realizing just now tying this all together um flow together is my my turn on my yeah just desire for connection to the erotic to my own sexual self to my lover um as that comes up I notice that that very much matches um maybe not perfectly but there's there's a relationship there um for sure which makes sense because sexual energy is creative energy yeah yeah it's everything Mm. all right so michelle for um all my interviews i want to ask a few simple sounding questions um, to my guests, but um, my theory is that the answers have this resounding impact and they will kind of like echo in my mind and, and be sources of inspiration for mm. me. Um, so I've chosen some questions. Uh, are you ready for just like a rapid fire? Hell yes. <laughs> okay. Given the option to travel to other solar systems and explore extraterrestrial existences or the ability to fly here on earth just the ability of flight what would you choose oh (laughs) the former yes wow yes really why i'm not sure if i'm clear on why just chin but that's I think it's because I am just so curious. I am an insatiably curious mind that to deny myself slash humanity, if I'm kind of the one person in humanity that gets to do this, um, in this example, the opportunity to learn about that just feels, I would be much more terrified to do that than to fly around this earth. but I think that's where that's coming from. Nice. I feel I feel you on that. That is such a rude question. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Basically just asked you, do you believe in aliens? Because <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. I do. <laughs> I've revealed too much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just checking. Just checking. <laughs> okay, next one. Um my mama told me about a recent piece in Discovery Magazine uh, that stated, learning another language makes you a better person. <laughs> Do you have a word in any other language that has deep resonance or import 
to you? Oh, so the first word that comes to mind is Atua, which <sighs> is from Samoan culture. I think it's also a word in Te Reo Māori as well. Yeah. Yeah. I. <laughs> so Atua is like um, my ancestral spirits, um, which in indigenous Samoan spiritual beliefs, um, so pre-Christian pre-colonized um, co- religious ideas coming into Samoa. Um, the belief was is that our ancestors um, are in the land. Um, so, yeah, that word really means so much to me um, for so many reasons. My, For me being in right relationship with nature, um, that word means a lot to me. Um, also, that word's meant has been like a guiding star for me in like my own decolonization beautiful Mm. thank you for that Mm. (laughs) okay well as we approach the end of this episode I would be remiss if I didn't take a moment to voice gratitude Mm. gratitude to the guides and inspirational elements that support us thank you to this blue and green earth that supports our life and the flora and the fauna that create equilibrium and beauty. I'm so lucky to behold. Thank you to the ancestors, the Atua, mm. to dwell within these bones and in the veil, which often overlaps and whispers in our ears. Thank you to the people in my life, the network of support and unconditional love in which I rest. Thanks to Bjorn for engineering, producing, and supporting the packaging up of this delicious experiment. Thank you, Michelle, for agreeing to come on to my burgeoning podcast dreams and gifting us with your thoughts. And thank you to you, dear listener, for your time and for choosing to engage and play with me. Ka kite anoa ho iakwe. <laughs>